Blog Talk Radio. time your phone or your car clock says it is. Welcome to BAM Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm Kerry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com, and I'm joined as always by Drew Diarmond of AlabamaIntel.com, and the show is being run back in the studios in Mobile County by Thomas Watts of TouchdownAlabama.net, and we are coming off a very impressive, very big, very Pole-changing win over Mississippi State, Alabama 25. The Bulldogs from start will previously number one, now number four, 20 before a sold-out Bryant-Denny Stadium. A great atmosphere, a great game. Uh, two of the top four teams in the land. Drew Armand, your thoughts? Okay, you know, I thought it was a good football game. Uh, I thought Mississippi State was the best football team Alabama has played to this point. Uh, their front seven was as advertised, was very physical. Uh, it was the first time that I've seen, um, you know, a, a, a someone or a, seen a, a player like Preston Smith make Cameron Robinson look mortal. Uh, I think he, that guy will be a star on the next level in the NFL. Very fine player. Dak Prescott, you know, a competitor. Not a great passer, an improved passer, but, you know, a guy that's uh, going to play hard. I thought Alabama did a great job gang tackling him. I thought, to be honest, it was the best game the secondary's played this year. Uh, Nick Perry, SEC co-defensive player of the week, I thought had his best game in an Alabama uniform. Same way with number five, Cyrus Jones. I thought he did a very nice job, uh, you know, defensively at his cornerback position. Uh, Landon Collins was a very good, you know, I still think it, not, not a lot of people are talking about it. He was a lot impact at defensive player of the week. Uh, nationally by by those guys. But that interception off the tip was a tremendous play. I uh, thought he did a great job tackling. And to be honest, you know, I felt like uh, Alabama played as good of all-around football games they played in a while. The offensive production maybe wasn't what everybody wanted, but I think Mississippi State had some things to do with that. And I still think, and I said it at the time, that the, the, the drive at the start of the fourth quarter uh, was – a, a season-defining and career-defining drive for Blake Sims in Alabama. It was, and when you have a true freshman who can punt seven times for a 45.6 average and drop five inside the 20, constantly flipping field position, you have, my friend, and J.K. Scott, a weapon. No doubt about that. Uh, he's, just, he's the best punter in the Southeastern Conference. 
I don't think it's close. Uh, I think, to be honest, I, he would get my vote as a first-team All-American. I don't get a chance to see everybody else. But to me, when you're the best punter in the best conference in the country, you should be a first-team All-American. I don't really care if you're a freshman. Uh, I think he's earned the right. And, I mean, we all thought, you know, uh, that P.J. Fitzgerald had a pretty decent career at Alabama, and he, he had a good senior year. And then Mandel had a nice last two years and was very good last year. But even his year last year, Kerry, has not been what J.K. Scott has done as a true freshman. I mean, it's just been. I've been following it for a while, as you know, Drew. Absolutely, mid seventies, and I I look back at at the punters Alabama's had since I started following it, and I can even, I can really the, the guy I would compare him to is Chris Moore, who spent right. over, over a decade in the NFL with Buffalo and Atlanta, uh, and maybe before that to a, to a lesser degree, somewhat Malcolm Simmons. But I, I put him out there with Chris Moore, even though I know he's just a true freshman, but. I mean, he might be Alabama's first ever three and out punter. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. That that could be interesting. I mean, because considering that most of the time kickers, you know, they're lucky to get drafted. Uh, you know, I have to admit, Kerry, the last first round kicker was Janikowski, and he's lived up to that height with the Raiders. But it was is Ray Guy the last punter? I mean, I, it's. For, as far and of course he's the, considered the greatest of all time. Brad uh, Wing came out early, I think, from LSU yeah. a few years ago. Let me I mean, check I mean, that. First round guys. I don't know. I don't. What, was Brad first round? I don't know. No, I think he was later rounds. Let me check. I think he was. He's with the Steelers now. Yeah, I can remember to show how old I am. I can remember laying in bed in Montgomery growing up, junior high, listening to John Forney and Doug Layton call Alabama Southern Miss games and they marveled at Ray Guy. Yeah. Uh, those days. So you knew he was going to be a heck of a pro and he was arguably the best punter in the history of pro football. But uh, you know, and I'm not putting all that kind of pressure on J. K. Scott. I'm just saying J. K. Scott is, is winning ball games for Alabama by the way he's put field position and it's not just this week. Uh you can look back to the Arkansas game, uh to a lesser degree the L S U game. Uh, I mean, without J.K. Scott, I think Alabama may have one more loss in there somewhere. Well, I, I just think that he's been a big key in Alabama. Of course, there's been very few punt returns this year. And I think he's – and I do think even if you look at Alabama's special teams, it's still been a struggle with Griffith being inconsistent carry. But And obviously Alabama's return game hasn't been as explosive as it was last year. With uh, with Christian Jones, but Jones has started to come around, and the, I think the kickoff coverage and of course the punt coverage with J.K. Scott punting has been good. I think the special teams has gotten better over the second half of the season, and that's a good thing because Alabama has been in close games with Mississippi State, uh, close game with LSU, and that made a difference. And uh, I think, and of course, as you said, with Arkansas, but of course there was enough mistakes special teams wise in Arkansas to lose that game as well. But I do think uh, special teams has played a huge part in the wins against LSU and uh, and, and against uh, Mississippi State. And without those, as you know, Alabama would be uh, who our little brother is across the state right now, and that's out of it. They are. Uh, they are. They are. They are. But, you know, kind of ironic to me that uh, Christian Jones hadn't done anything but fair catch since the A&M game. Yeah, he really hasn't, but – there hasn't been a whole lot of opportunities. I mean, there's been a like as you noticed, uh, Bell from Mississippi State. He didn't punt very well. Uh, there's a lot of shanks, and 
And we, I think Christian's shown much better judgment. I've liked how he's uh, returned since the – he did break one against Texas A&M, and I've liked how he's handled himself since that game. He hasn't had any bobbles or any fumbles, or, and he's shown good judgment on which ones to catch. You'd like to see him get some some return yardage out of the deal. But, again, at least there hasn't been any of the catastrophic turnovers, which if there had been in the last two weeks, Kerry, that would have been – because obviously that's what lost the old Miss game ultimately, and it could have easily lost either one of those. Very true. Uh, we want to remind everyone that uh, we would welcome you to call in if you're listening live. If you want to ask questions or just give comments on what's going on with Alabama football and Alabama athletics, you can do so by calling the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline, which is 714 714- Five one zero three seven zero seven. Again, that number seven one four five one zero three seven zero seven. We're going to be joined a little bit later this hour by Rodney Orr of Tyler Insider, but we have uh, plenty to talk about between now and then. First question. Well, next question, Drew. Uh, last night, uh, what went through your mind when they flashed on the screen that Alabama had jumped from five to one? A little surprised. Um, I'm a, I'm kind of a traditionalist, Kerry. I know and I understand they have not been that impressive in several of their games, and I know their league is not very good. But I was thinking, you know, Alabama would probably be two. I thought Florida State would move up to one because they beat a pretty good Miami team, not a great Miami team, but a pretty good Miami team on the road and were undefeated. And I just figured Oregon was idle. Alabama got a big win. I figured it was going to be Florida State, Alabama, Oregon. And then I thought Mississippi State deserved to be fourth, but I didn't think the committee would do that. I thought it would probably be either TCU, but they weren't very impressive, and maybe even Baylor jumping up but they because of the head-to-head. But, again, they played one less game, so the committee's kind of holding that against them right now than TCU, despite the head-to-head win. But And I thought, you know, Ohio State would be in the top six, but not in, the, not in the fourth position. But I thought Mississippi State would probably be five behind TCU, but that, that's not what happened. And to be honest, I think Mississippi State deserves to be in the top four, so I thought the committee got that right. And, again, I was a little bit surprised Alabama was number one, but I think you can make that argument. Though I still think, you know, with a defending national champion, undefeated team, I, will, I thought that FSU would be number one. Yeah, and, and FSU has some pretty good arguments. They, they have three wins over top 25 teams, but Alabama beats the number one team in the country. And and really, although, yes, Mississippi State scored in the last 15 seconds and Alabama had recovered an onside kick, the game was never truly in doubt. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, maybe in the back of some people's minds when it was 19-13, to 13, they, they went, oh, crap, you know, Alabama better score here. But Alabama did score as Blake Sims converted two well, really, three close throwdowns. T.J. Yeldon over the middle, two using his feet. Right. And uh, those are third downs that, in my opinion, no other quarterback on the roster uh, would convert. And maybe maybe no other quarterback in the SEC. I'm not sure about that. But no other quarterback on the Alabama roster converts those two third downs. As was Blake Sims just making use of his God-given ability. Uh, and, you know, he never gives any credit to himself. But he is putting together one heck of a senior year, Drew. Well, he is, and I talked to a good friend of this show uh, for 30 minutes, 45 minutes tonight before coming on here, William Redfish Barger. And we started talking about just 
never in my wildest dreams that I, I see Blake Sims, and he's going to do it. I'll just go ahead and say it. He, he's going to throw 20 touchdown passes. I never would have thought that. And to be honest, what I really want to happen for Blake is to finish this deal. Obviously, this Saturday is going to be a glorified scrimmage. No disrespect to Western Carolina. But Alabama, this is at the football game. They should win. Uh, and then Saturday, in the week after, Auburn with what's at stake. And, and Alabama has been waiting to play Auburn for a year, Kerry. I think you know that. Everybody knows that. Uh, if, they, if, if he takes care of business against Auburn and plays well, and then Alabama wins the SEC championship game, I'm sorry, but he should be the MVP of the Southeastern Conference. And I, the first question, or the first thing out of Williams' mouth was, and, and I understand his point. He said, what about Amari Cooper? My thing is with Amari is he should be the offensive most valuable player, or player of the year, but Blake should be the MVP because if Alabama wins the Southeastern Conference, that means the only game Alabama would have lost on the season is at Ole Miss, and I think we all agree, we've said it on this show, that if the holding penalty does not happen from O.J. Howard, he brings Alabama back to win that game. Oh, yeah, they're, they're about to score. Blake, yeah, he's yeah. going to take them in. There's I mean, not any doubt in my mind about that statement. See, and so and see, he's already had the drive against LSU, and he's already had the drive against Mississippi State. He had the performance against Florida. He had the performance against Texas A&M. In all the big games, Blake has played an integral part in winning it. And if you look at his stat line, now I think basically Dak Prescott has double digits and interceptions. And then a good thing William Barger said was, any NFL guy will still take, any personnel guy would still take Jameis Winston over Blake Sims, of course. But if you look at the stats, J. J. Boo Winston's thrown 18 touchdowns and 12 picks. And, you know, Blake Sims has only thrown three interceptions. Uh, Dak Prescott has thrown double digits. Nick Marshall has not played well lately. Uh, hopefully he will beat Nick Marshall head-to-head. If you beat Nick Marshall head-to-head, you beat Texas A&M, you beat Mississippi State, and then uh, uh, have a narrow loss to Bo Wallace and Ole Miss, and he, and he still, to me, is a better has had a better year than Bo Wallace, then I'm sorry, then, then Blake Sims should be SEC most valuable player. I just hope that Alabama can finish the drill so he's able to get that honor because, wow, man, who would have ever thought that at the start of the season? I mean, nobody. And it, and it gives me confidence, Kerry, about what Lane Kiffin could do with Jake Coker in a year. Yep. I mean, if he if he can do what he's done with Blake Sims, the ideal situation is, you know, everybody loves Blake Barnett. He's a stud prospect. He will be enrolling early. But you don't need a true freshman playing quarterback. You need him to redshirt, learn the scheme, get stronger, build up his body, and see a guy like Jake Coker take the reins for a year and play well. And it gives me confidence that, you know, Lane Kiffin can do that. I mean, he did it uh, with Jonathan Crompton at Tennessee, and now he's done it even better with uh, Blake Sims. And now let's see if Alabama can just finish the drill. And uh, Alabama's going to be favored, too. they still got to go out and do it. But hopefully they can, and Blake Sims, and if they do, Blake Sims will play an integral role. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a uh... And I sent a tweet the other day, and I, I copied uh, Phil Savage on it, and I forgot to say something to him in the press box. But I think Blake Sims deserves serious consideration for the senior bowl. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, if if he throws for nearly 3,000 yards, Kerry, and probably over that if, if they win the SEC championship, I know he's only 5'11", 
and whatnot. But they've had – look at Drew Brees. I'm not saying he's going to make the NFL. I'm just saying that who cares about the measurables? What should matter is the, the progress he made in a year and the senior year that he had. And I agree with you that he deserves to have a chance to – he may not do well in that situation, but what if he does? Nobody was thinking he was going to even be the starter at Alabama this year. I do think he would have earned that opportunity to – showcase his skills in one of these all-star games. It's not the senior bowl in the East-West Shrine game. There's three or four of them. So he, he well, deserves... you're the Alabama quarterback, you go to the senior bowl. Well, yeah, of course. But yeah, I, you do. And, and you know who the president is. Everybody knows who the president of the senior bowl is. And so I agree. I think Blake Sims deserves that opportunity. Yep. I'll buy a Reese's in his honor if he makes it. Uh, <laughs> but he does deserve it, though, for real. As do a number of Alabama seniors. Uh, and, you know, Getting back to the Barnett thing, I, I don't think it's a done deal. He redshirts next year uh, because I, I think that if you know within a ninety percentile that the guy's going to be the star of the next year, you got to get his feet wet a little bit and says just throw him to the wolves next year. And and, and I, I I personally think that a day starting quarterback matchup is Coca versus Barnett. It may be, but I still think that Lane Kiffin likes uh, Cooper Bateman. And I still think he thinks he brings some skills to the table. I still want to see him. I'm, I hate to discount Alec Morris, who basically has beat out Bateman in this past fall. But Alec will probably stay and compete. But I just think, like, it's like what they said uh, for the for last for the Mississippi State preparation that uh, Bateman was big on the scout team imitating uh, imitating Dak because he's so mobile and he can run under a four under a four seven forty. I'd still like to see because you remember how he did last A day. He did he did pretty well, and so I'd still like to see how Cooper Bateman does. I, I you know we've had John Garcia on our show many times, and he thinks Bateman's got the best arm of anybody on Alabama squad. So I'd be interested to see how he does. Now at the very at the same time, if he doesn't push for the job out of the spring, I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of the quarterbacks left. I, I said that last year. And I'll say it again. I just don't – if they want to stay and stick around, that's great. But most of the time these guys want to play. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of progress Cornwell's made. Uh, people forget he's very impressive physically. Uh, just sort of still wonder mentally where he is. But uh, he'll also get a chance uh, kind of in the spring. He will. Uh, I guarantee Adam Griffith hopes Bateman don't leave. So that's what told us. <laughs> and there was a uh, – there was a marked difference back in the spring of Adam's success when Cooper was holding versus when Alec Morris was holding. I could tell it in the scrimmages. I could tell it at A-Day. Uh, Adam's sometimes shaky, but he's even more shaky when we don't have uh, Cooper Bateman holding. So well, he'll, I'll, be, I, he'll be the biggest one pleading that case if Cooper thinks about leaving. Adam will be politicking for him to say. I mean, I hate to say, I hate to try to already start talking position changes, but if that's really true, and I think Nick Saban is the one that said it, that he could run under a 4-7, you think Cooper Bateman was a good enough athlete, he might even get a look at receiver. <laughs> Not out of the question. Not out of the question at all. Well, we're going to go ahead and bring on our first guest of the evening. Uh, I understand he's been a busy man tonight, uh, going on radio first in Tuscaloosa and now on the World Wide Web. Good friend of the show, regular contributor, uh, owner and general manager, and chief <laughs> executive at com. My friend and yours, Rodney Orr, welcome to Bam's Radio. Well, Terry, I appreciate that introduction. You're really good at that. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, but hey, it, he speaks the truth. And well, Rodney, uh, I guess really quickly, just to start for us, I mean, 
what were, what were your impressions on the on the victory against Mississippi State? And, and I guess first of all, you know, I just got through answering the question myself. But were you surprised that Alabama moved up to number one in the uh, rankings? Uh, well, to be honest with you, uh, I'm not going to say I was surprised at all. I I really don't. Be honest, not I haven't. I don't pay that much attention to them right now. I just kind of see where Alabama's positioned a little bit. Uh, because, like I said, three weeks ago when they were, what, five or whatever it was the first time it came out, and then then they dropped to six at one time, uh, one of the polls. I mean, uh, you know, it really didn't matter. Alabama kind of controlled its own destiny in terms of if they were, were going to win. If they won, they would, you know, move up. And so we're still in that same position. You know, now Alabama's obviously number one. They're part of the four, so... The key is to keep winning. I mean, Saturday, then all of a sudden you have Auburn coming in. Can you believe it's only 10 days? Isn't it 10 days to the Auburn game? And then, uh, you know, you win that game, you're off to the SEC championship game against either Georgia or Missouri. And then if you win that game, then, you know, you can step back for a minute or two, take a breath, and, Kind of get ready for the preparations that lead up to the, uh, you know, the game that you, uh, the first round playoff game, I guess, would, which would probably be if Alabama stays where it is, what the Sugar Bowl, so, or in New Orleans. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where we are. And, and you got to kind of take them a step at a time. And so I really haven't paid too much attention to those uh, polls or the poll. Rodney, what were your uh, impressions overall of uh, the Mississippi State victory by Alabama? Well, uh, I thought that uh, the defense played extremely well. I know people talk about giving up, what, 435 yards, whatever it was, that Alabama gave 428. Uh, you know, but a lot of those yards came late uh, when Mississippi State was trying to uh, you know, cut into Alabama's lead. Uh, so I, I really, from a, but but I thought the defense played really well. They forced the, the Mississippi State when they got close. They forced them either into turnovers or you know to settle for field goals. That was you know huge in the difference in the outcome of the game. And uh, so I think Alabama's defense continues to improve. They've gotten better up front defensively. We've known that. Now I think it's really neat that you as you watch them how the secondary started to come around. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's starting to solidify. You know, Cyrus Jones just seems to get better and better every every game. Um, you know, Eddie Jackson seems to be getting back closer to his form now as the season's moved along. You know, what about Nick Perry? He's a story. Guy, you know, makes a great play against LSU uh, down there in the uh, was it in overtime when he when he made that great uh, broke up that pass. And they did a great job there. Then he has a big game, twelve tackles. Uh, and, and a really nice interception. So those were all keys to the game, uh, in my opinion. You know, the, the the interceptions. You talk about where where the interceptions occurred. I mean, you know, Cyrus Jones picks one off in the end zone. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know Nick Nick's interception came around the twenty, and you know Andrews' interception came around the fifteen. So those are all you know really really huge uh, plays. And then you talk about you can't forget offensively about the drive. You know, uh, 15 plays, 76 yards, went into 19-13 game. Seemed like Mississippi State's kind of starting to take the momentum away. And maybe, you know, maybe the game could be slipping away early in the fourth quarter. But 
you know, they engineer that, uh, Blake Sims engineers that 15-play, 76-yard drive, takes off 6.07 on the clock, allows the defense time to rest. And, uh, you know, he converts three third downs on that drive with a great pass to, to Yeldon and then the two scrambles. And, you know, people talk about Alabama's running game, guys. Uh, where is it? And, uh, you know, in that particular drive, when they really needed to run the ball, they did. I mean, they had eight eight called running plays, and I'm not including the two scrambles by Blake, obviously, but eight called running plays for 45 yards, average five five yards a pop there are, are better. And um, so I thought it was that was real significant. And, uh, you know, they they finished the game. So that those those are all the keys. And then we can't forget about the kicking game. Uh, J.K. Scott, you know, with his, you know, pinning Mississippi State down repeatedly, with, you know, his kicks averaged 45.6 a kick, I think. And so all of those things together, I mean, Alabama found a way as a team to win. Well, and, and Rodney, I, I thought it was. I thought TJ Yeldon showed a lot of toughness. Obviously, he wasn't a hundred percent, but you know, he, I thought he was a very effective, especially in the latter stages of the fourth quarter. Uh, I thought on that last on the defining drive, he had several big runs. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I felt like, and then I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but we I, we were just before you came on, we were discussing Blake Sims' senior season, and you know, it hasn't been pretty at times. He's had some struggles early in games. But he's got this tangible that it just seems like in the biggest moment that he, he seems to everything seems to slow down for him and he makes he just has a tendency to make plays to win games and uh, I think that's huge and we were I was just talking to Kerry about this if he you know if Alabama could finish the drill and get to Atlanta and, and win the SEC championship game I don't see any way that he's not SEC most valuable player, and then maybe, you know, Cooper be the MVP offensively, but I'm talking about overall most valuable because uh, he would have beaten, you know, Nick Marshall, beaten uh, Dak Prescott, won the LSU game, and then was on the in the process of rallying the team to beat Ole Miss before penalties kind of got the best of the, best of the team there. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's had a, you know, he's had a better than anyone could have thought or would have thought, I guess, year, you know, statistically right. put up some good numbers, you know, and I'm, that's not a, that's not a, uh, you know, it's not a shot at Blake. I mean, it's just, no, oh, yeah, the general, the general feeling was that, you know, Coker would be the guy. So, um, you know, but Blake has really had a great year. He's proved, I think he's proved a lot, you know, he's shown a lot. He's led his team and, and uh, I think he's done a good job in terms of the team chemistry. I mean, you know, it's, it's all about the team with Blake Sims. You can tell that. I mean, it's it's all about the team. It's it's not about personal, you know, honors with him at all. And I think that's a key with, uh, you know, part of the key to the success that they've had is it's he's he's been unselfish. You know, he's he's you know he's just he's just glad to be out there playing to be honest with you and he's taking advantage of an opportunity how many guys wait around for 5 years especially a quarterback uh you know quarterbacks don't wait around if they're not going to play usually they head out you know they transfer but Blake you know has patiently you know endured his his time the waiting and you know he switched positions as we know several times and you know so i mean it's just, he's a great story and and I hope he does, you know, eventually win those games you're talking about and ends up as uh, whatever honors they give him. Uh, I hope he gets them because he, he deserves them. Not many guys wait around five years, Rodney, before I ask my question. No. I'll give you three. 
I'll give you three, and it worked out good for two and not so good for the other. Two it worked out well for, Hudson Mason and D.J. Chockley. And then we have good old John David Phillips. But that leads me yep. to my next question. Um, <laughs> it seemed to me, and I tweeted this Saturday, and then later a, a full-time writer agreed with me, uh, it seems to me that, that Kiffin, Lane Kiffin, our offensive coordinator, is slowly but surely integrating plays back into the offense and using our Darius Stewart to run plays that were originally designed for Kenyon Drake. Am I just dreaming this, or is this really happening? Well, that's kind of the way it seems, you know. Um, and our Darius Stewart's a very exciting. It, you know, I think a lot of people are glad that, you know, he's finally starting to kind of emerge with some opportunities because he is a big play guy. We knew that coming out of high school. He accounted for, you know, tons of touchdowns as a high school player. He's just kind of a natural. He's a guy who played high school quarterback, receiver, could do it all, played safety. I mean, you know, he's just a tremendous athlete. And, you know, now it's, as a young redshirt freshman, you know, we saw him earlier in the year make a great diving catch on a play from a – on a throw from Coker. Kind of showed what he could do when he, he slid down near the sidelines to really – show he knew how to adjust his body to get in position to make a tough catch. And, you know, I just think he's going to be really, uh, you know, a a strong contributor as as we move along. It's going to be interesting to see how much more involved, if he continues to be involved, you know, how much more in the, uh, you know, as we we kind of move forward here. But uh, he is certainly an exciting player. Did you make it to the uh, Saban press conference tonight, Rodney? I did. Okay. What were your takeaways uh, from what he said tonight? Well, he, you know, he talked about different things. He, first of all, he did say it was a good week of practice. They'd had a good week of practice this week. He was kind of glad that they had some chilly conditions to work in. Uh, you know, it really, it was only like 50, but it was, the wind was kind of blowing and it made it feel like it was much cooler than that. Uh, but he said he was really, you know, glad that they had that opportunity because they may have to play in some games you know, down the road uh, that could, you know, be some, some weather conditions. So, um, you know, but he overall he was he's really seemed to be pleased with the way practice is going, the attitude of the team. And his, his kind of his deal is, you know, are we just going to try to win the game or are we going to try to use this as, you know, the opportunity that we have to get better? And I think that's really the thing that they had focused with the players. Is, and, and I think that's – he seemed to be um, – comfortable that the players made progress towards, you know, having the mindset of, you know, hey, we want to improve, we want to get better, you know, uh, and and do what we have to do to do that. So that was it. He was asked uh, some uh, interesting stuff. He was asked about uh, about Cameron Sims, a young freshman receiver, and, you know, his blocking ability. And, you know, Coach Saban quickly made it a point that, you know, we don't put him in the game for him to, you know, for his blocking necessarily, we, you know, we put we, we have a lot of confidence in him as a receiver. He talked about his big body and how physical he is, and he can create be a mismatch for you know smaller defenders and uh, those types of things. And, and he, then he also went on to mention um, you know Robert Foster. Uh, he mentioned that he had really made nice progress in practices here of late, and that uh, they he really would like to see if they could get him some more reps you know, as, as as they move along because he thought that he had made some strides. And he named – then again, he, he touched on Foster. He said, Foster, our Darius Stewart, um, Cameron Sims, and um, one of the other young – Chris Black had all really done an excellent job. And he, 
that they, uh, you know, down the road they should have some opportunities to con- to contribute, uh, you know, to the team. So uh, that that was really what he touched on there. And you know, he was also asked about Blake and Blake using the private quarterback over the, uh, you know, spring break last year and maybe over the summer, some or whatever. But he just said, you know, they certainly weren't opposed to that. And it, you know, he really commended Blake for doing everything he could, whether it be you know, under the tutelage of, you know, Alabama's coaches or whatever private help that uh, Blake, uh, you know, enlisted. You know, he said he just did everything. He, he's done everything he could possibly do to create a opportunity for him to improve. So, you know, those were some of the things that, you know, kind of off the top of my head that I, that I really remember. Now, he did talk about the seniors this year, you know, with homecoming coming up. And, you know, we're winding down or getting closer to the end of their obviously their careers and he talked about how he thought the big thing with them was the fact that uh you know they they really seemed to have a good chemistry with one another there were guys who were leaders who stepped up um you know and took leadership roles who maybe earlier in their careers weren't very good at that but that they had when their time came to be leaders they they, you know they kind of all bonded together stepped up and you know took on those roles and that it's really had been good for team chemistry because he said, as he said, our, our group of seniors are really well liked among the other players. And they've shown a lot of, you know, willingness to help the other players, you know, develop and, and, and become better, better players. So uh, that, that was pretty much the gist of, of what he spoke of. Well, Rodney, uh, we had a lot of, uh, Pretty big name for recruits on campus this past weekend for the Mississippi State game. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from uh, what what you've heard from them so far, or what Lee Smith, your ace rider, has heard? Lee Davidson. Yeah, well, see, here's the thing. Recruiting is changing so much. I mean, these guys are going on these visits, and they're saying one thing, and they're on Twitter saying another, and it's just like I saw somebody – I don't even know who did the story, so, you know, I'm certainly not uh, being critical of anyone who did a story, but apparently someone had quoted uh, Byron Cowart earlier today as saying that Florida State was his leader. And, you know, then now I believe Mike Farrell of Rivals has come back and had spoken to him, and, you know, Byron told him that um, he really doesn't have a clear leader. So, I mean, it's hard to really figure out sometimes what all is going to happen. It's a guy like Kendall Sheffield. I mean, I think he's changed directions three or four different times over the last three weeks. You know, at one point it looked like it was Alabama. Then it looked like FSU. Then it looked like maybe LSU. Then today someone says, well, you know, kind of indications were his today in some interview he gave that maybe his mother would like for him to go to Texas A&M. So, I mean, I think we're going to have to really allow some of this stuff to play out. I do think Alabama's going to have a really good year and one guy that I a really good finish. We already know a lot of guys they have, but I think they're going to finish strong. You know, I think uh, we all know about Deron Payne from Shades Valley and um, now a guy that are, I, I think will probably eventually um, swing to Alabama, so to speak, is, is Adonis Thomas, who is an outstanding linebacker from you know, Central Gannett High School in Lawrenceville, Georgia. He's been committed to Florida, decommitted a few weeks ago. I, I won't be surprised, you know, whenever he decides uh, finally that uh, if he if he doesn't flip to Alabama. 
Yeah, and Rodney, and obviously there's some, we both talked to this young man, but talk about your impressions of Lawrence Cager. Because Alabama obviously wants to add another receiver in the class. Uh, you know, Terry Godwin looking like he's going to stick with Georgia. I mean, nothing is set in stone, as you said. It changes like the wind. And that's kind of the frustrating part about recruiting now. But talk about Cager and what you've heard about him. And then uh, it seems like he's someone that maybe the Alabama staff is really starting to uh, – or it's since the summer, since the last camp, that they've more and more gotten, as far as the interest level, started to increase. Well, Lawrence Cager's a wide receiver from a big kid. Six five two zero two is what he measured at Alabama. Um, last week when he came down here for the uh, Mississippi State game. And on an unofficial visit, he's coming back. Uh, you know, he told me he was probably coming the weekend before Christmas. Um, right. So, so um, you know, again, he's a big wide receiver. He's got it, came to camp, had a good camp at Alabama, uh, or, you know, or, or visit at that point during the summer. And uh, so Alabama, Ohio State, I guess some have considered Ohio State the favorite at one point. Uh, you know whether they are still are. I don't right. know. I didn't get that impression from him. But um, you know uh, Virginia Tech's another school that he mentioned that he would visit. Wake Forest, Notre Dame, um, Georgia. He said he had some interest in as well as Ole Miss, of course Alabama too. So you know again we'll see kind of how it all you know unfolds with him. But. Uh, you know, he's a big physical guy, big strong guy. Um, you know, got some room to grow. And, uh, you know, just an, just an excellent uh, athlete. But I got the impression when I spoke to him, I believe it was on Sunday night, that after he got back from his visit to Alabama, he had a great time. He said, you know, uh, Amari Cooper and Blake Sims spent a lot of time talking to him and kind of encouraged him, you know, about Alabama. And uh, he said he kind of was overwhelmed by the visit, to be honest. Uh, you know, he said it was really a – uh, a special visit, and and that uh, he loved Alabama. So you know, we'll see where it goes with him. Well, and I got something else to add too. Uh, uh, so I have someone uh, that spoke with him for Alabama Intel this past in a, in a couple of days ago, and here's it's something small, but it's something that shows how good a recruiter uh, Lane Kiffin is, and why he the players love him so much. When Cager, he and Cager have been in constant communication. Cager had given him one of his favorite plays that they run around the goal line as far as a pass play. And uh, Lane Kiffin put it in the game plan and used it on Amari Cooper's touchdown. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that that was the – I do know that he said that he was expecting that play to, to be used and, and he saw it coming. Right. But I did not know that was, you know, something that uh, that Cager had a part in the game plan. Um, That's kind of That is thing. interesting. Yeah. Ronnie, as you know, uh, the recruiting room uh, where they host families and, and actual prospects is only three or four doors down from the Saban post-game press conference room. So I had the occasion for the first time to see, without pads, uh, Keith Mixon. And I didn't realize how small he really was in real life. Uh and, and he keeps visiting games, and, you know, he's still committed to Mississippi State, and now you're hearing about Cager. And, uh, is the ship about to sail for him in Alabama? I don't know. It's, uh, like I said, I think it's it's still, you know, what is this, November? Uh, it's not early, 
but then again, the way recruiting is going these days, it's 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 not necessarily late either, um, you know, because I mean, you know, they get a lot of these guys early now, but but we're, we're also kind of got a period here late where you know a lot of the valuations that have gone on through the fall, and you know they're going to sit down here in a couple of weeks, probably um, hopefully after they play in the SEC championship game and win that, uh, hopefully, uh, but certainly that week, regardless, they're they're probably going to sit down and you know, start figuring out some things they're going to be doing recruiting-wise. Uh, not that they haven't already. I'm just saying that I think, you know, there's going to be an op- a, a time there where they'll sit down and, you know, really start hashing some things out. You know, do we take this guy? Do we want, you know, do we take that guy? And, you know, do we need this position or what do we need? And uh, which, by the way, if anybody can find about a six foot five, 255-pound blocking tight end, who can, you know, got a little bit of athletic skills, uh, Alabama surely could use one because that, to me, seems like one of the top needs there is. And I'm not sure if there's anyone out there really that fits the bill right now. But, um, you know, as as far as Mixon's concerned, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that unfolds. And I still think I'm just going to throw my two cents in. I still think Mixon can have a a spot in the class because, I think, anything, as Robbie has said, anything can happen. But I still think the commitment of Daylon Charlotte is shaky uh, at best. I think there's a, a pretty good shot he could end up flipping to LSU. We'll see. Anything can happen, especially considering LSU struggling down the stretch here. But uh, I still think that's something that you can bear to watch. Yeah, it could. You know, I don't think that would surprise anybody if it happened. Right, but I think Alabama's going to, you know, they've got some a lot of, you know, probably a handful of receivers that they're going to kind of be feeling out over the next, you know, week to month, a uh, couple of weeks to a month, and and kind of see where they stand and, you know, see which direction they want to go, and maybe that's when they determine whether or not they're going to, you know, offer Keith Nixon. Last week, Rodney, uh, we were able to get the take, the redfish take on where things stand with uh, East Mississippi Community College defenders D.J. Jones, still committed to Florida State, and Lorenzo Phillips, a a pass-rushing-type linebacker. Uh, What are you hearing about those two individuals and their potentiality being in this Alabama class? Well, D.J. Jones is probably sitting like this. He's committed to Florida State. Don't count out Auburn. Don't count out Ole Miss. Don't count out Alabama. I think all of those schools. Ole Miss, actually, I heard today, they feel good about their chances. So, you know, we'll see what what happens with him. I think Alabama, if Alabama really turns up the heat, I think they've got a great shot at him. Um, But, um, you know, I don't know that they've really turned it up full full force yet. And if they do, then I think he's going to be coming in for the Auburn game, uh, if I'm not mistaken. We'll see how, you know, again, these visits change, too. I mean, you know, two kids that were supposed to take official visits last week, neither one of them came. So these visits right, changed. Yeah, I, so, but as far as uh, I, I, as far as uh, Lorenzo Phillips, he's six two two twenty two. He has great speed. Um, I think if he can, you know, do all the things he needs to do and get, <clears throat> if he has any academic concerns or whatever it is takes care of all of his business, and I think there's a good significant chance Alabama 
will uh, sign him. And he is a, like I said, he is a very, very athletic, fast uh, linebacker. And as Rodney saying, guys, recruiting always changes. And uh, I was, we, uh, Rodney and I had talked about this earlier in the day. Rodney, I've got another name for you. I was able to we'll talk to William Barger today, as I said. And the name, there's, there's a new, you know how it always evolves, but Alabama yeah. is trying to get a visit out of a uh, Canadian defensive lineman, Neville Gallimore, who is 6'3", around 305 pounds. He's a 3'4", a, a defensive, defensive lineman, could probably project to play a lot of all three spots along the line. He's, a, for what I've been told, a freak of nature. He runs around a 47540, uh, supposedly, and is trying to schedule one last official visit. A lot, some insiders think Ohio State's got the edge right now, but it seems to the last official visit is going to either be Alabama or Florida State. So Neville Gallimore is a, guy, is a name from the Canadian prep school that could end up popping up as an official visitor here uh, in, late in the process. Well, the last Canadian that I remember popping up late in the process was not in the K. Losher. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, that was the same thing. <laughs> you know, we, we saw how that one ended. Uh, you know, Alabama certainly uh, beat out Mississippi, uh, Michigan State. I'm sorry, Michigan State, where he was committed at the time. But um, anyway, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a very – listen, you can never get enough guys like that. I mean – and I'm all for it. If you can get those kind of defensive linemen, I mean, look. Look at Jaron Reed and, and Sean Robinson. I mean, those two beasts are really – I mean, they're just – I mean, they're, they're a difference on that Alabama defensive line. And, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a stonewall, guys. I mean, when Dak Prescott hit that, you know – look, I know he had 87 yards rushing on but he had 22 carries. And when he, but when he tried – he rarely did he have much success, you know, when he just tried to take the ball and run it between the tackles on Alabama. You know, I mean, he didn't. Right. He just he just didn't. And and a lot of that had to do with you know those those kind of guys. And I think Brandon Ivory's playing better too, by the way. But um, point is, yeah, on, on the on the Gallimore kid, I, I think you know, like you said, you can't you just can't get enough of those guys. Yeah, and he he's somebody you know until today I had not been hearing too much about, but his measurable height, weight. Uh, speed are very impressive, and I do think that hopefully this will be a, this will help Alabama slow down the Auburn attack this year. Uh, having a much improved defensive line, having Ashawn Robinson in his second year, having Jaron Reed just continue to get better and better and play good football. And I think really, Rodney, you could say the most consistent defensive lineman from the first game to this point has been Jonathan Allen. I think he's had a very good season. Well, I'd tell you some guy to watch out for that's really kind of starting to. Uh kind of starting to emerge more is Dalvin Tomlinson. I mean, yes, he, he had is. seven tackles. Well. Yeah, he had seven tackles against, uh, you know, in the Mississippi State game, and uh, I thought he really played well. Uh, you know, he, he made a really nice play. He may have been credited with a sack. I'm not sure. But he had a really nice play on uh, Dak Prescott one time. So, uh, you know, he's another guy. And Jonathan, you mentioned Jonathan Allen, D.J. Petway. You know, all of those guys are playing really well, but I think Brandon Ivory's played much better of late. So, and, and Darren Lake's even shown some stuff when he doesn't, you know, punch a guy in the face or whatever he did, hit a guy in the head or <laughs> went went to the face mask or whatever it was. Uh, not sure, but, um, he went you know, Darren Lake has, has done well. I'm sorry? Well, I, 
Well, no, yeah, he said he went Sumter County on him, but I think uh, I, I, I think it, it it goes to something you said, and you were very it, you were very high on the move when it happened. But I think Bo Davis has played a big part in increased production from the DL. I heard today I saw the practice film where he basically uh, told a couple of the defensive linemen with expletives uh, that have to be that can't be said on this show. But that you know, who cares how cold it is? You got to get your mind right, and I think yeah. he's uh, done a, a great job with it. And I think Kevin Steele, Rodney, has done a great job with the linebackers mm-hmm. inside. That is, yeah, yeah, especially you know, he's really brought Reggie Ragland along. I think you know, DePriest has been, you know, okay, solid at times, good at other times, and uh, but I, I really like the way uh, you know, obviously Ragland has developed, and and then, um, but you're right about Bo Davis. I mean. You know he's he's injected some some life in that defensive line, and I, I actually heard the little thing you're talking about today, and it was I heard it from 50 yards away, so uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was for everyone to hear, and uh, it was it was kind of kind of funny. Drew, hey Drew, yes, is your laugh coming to men's? Do what? I was just wondering if that laugh came in the men's. Uh, Rodney, uh, I wanted to make a rhetorical statement for you not to respond to and then ask a question. Uh, okay. I have a funny feeling. I have a funny feeling if Gallimore does sign with Alabama, uh, based on Norton's history and all, that Patrick Murphy will have a clause that he cannot room with anybody dating a softball player. That's number one. Uh, number two, and this is the question, it seems like uh, it, based on Twitter, and I know you can't judge recruiting by Twitter, but it seems like, Blake Barnett has done a phenomenal job of getting Alabama in serious contention for Damian Harris, the high school running back from Kentucky. Do you also get that impression? Well, uh, you know, from what I see, yes, uh, from what I've seen with Damian Harris, some of the things he's put out, and, and, you know, he's credited Blake uh, Barnett a couple of times there uh, with with, uh, kind of – building his interest in Alabama and um you know I think um you know I, I think Drew has a little insight with uh you know Barnett and having spent a lot of time with uh you know Harris when he was here this this past week and I'll say this though Alabama definitely needs to get a in my opinion definitely needs a a, a big time running back in this class uh you know I know Bo Scarborough's coming in. We'll see, you know we'll see. I, I think Bo's a very talented guy. He play a lot of positions. He's he's a big guy, and he's solid too. But I mean, you know, he's he's a really big guy that's got a lot of uh, skills. But I think you know maybe a, a guy, another running back that really has some some uh, you know uh, big time talent to him. I, I think Alabama could certainly use use another one in this class, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, and I think you know just from speaking with. Uh, sources close to Barnett. I think they they spent the entire game sitting with Damian. I feel I think they feel like Alabama has made a major move with him. I think it's big that he's going to come back to the Iron Bowl. Most likely, that's going to be his official visit to Alabama. I know his mother today was it was very high on the visit, and it was their first one since A Day. So I do think Blake has helped Alabama get into a big time position with Harris. Um, and I agree with Rodney. I, you, know, you never know. You look at the all T ten ping situation. He was suspended for being late to a meeting Friday. Uh, did not dress. He's back at practice this week, but his situation is probably tenuous. 
Tyron Jones has had his issues. And then you look at the uh, NJ Yeldon likely gone, you know, you know, very, very, very likely gone to the NFL. And then uh, Derrick Henry's had, you know, he's been a little mixed up this year. So, uh, regardless, as Rodney has said before, you can have a great depth of running back, but it can quickly dissipate. And I think Alabama would like to, you know, get somebody to compliment both Scarborough. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when you look at it, um, Tenpenny and Tyron Jones, you know, here are two guys that are very talented guys. And, oh, yeah. you know, when if they would, you know, have kind of taken advantage of the opportunities they've had to this point, you know, they would have a real chance here to kind of, you know, at the end of the year make some con- really good contribution, I think. And then also, you know, as you start moving towards next year, you know, I just think that, you know, both those guys, uh, you know, need to really mature. And uh, they've got the talent. It's just, you know, are they going to do all the other things that, uh, you know, they need to do to earn themselves, or put themselves in a position to, you know, earn some carries? Rodney, as is the case on the defensive line, uh, prospects seemingly continue to emerge on the offensive line. Uh, what, what do you make of the uh, offensive tackle position, if there will be any additions to this class and then even some – well, let's just talk about this class first. No, I'm sorry. You're asking what do I think about signing some offensive tackles? Like who are the most likely candidates if they're going to add another one to this class? Well, I, I think they're certainly – they're intent on adding at least one. Uh, you know, and you know, I don't, I don't know if anything. Isaiah Prince is. I don't know if anything's changed on him. I haven't spoken to him in a, in, in three or four weeks. Um, last time we did anything on him, and I have not heard that anything's different. He sounded very high on Alabama to me. You know, the last time I talked to him, and um, you know, he said he was going to visit here on January the sixteenth. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Now, I, you know, I still think Matt Womack, of, you know, Ole Miss. Uh, has not really kind of pushed on him yet. He's from Senatobia, Mississippi, Magnolia Heights Academy. Hey, that guy's legit size, you know, 6'6", 330, uh, committed to LSU. But I know he's had a long time interest in Alabama. I know that his dad's been highly interested in Alabama. His dad's taken an active role in helping him make his decision. So, you know, we'll see how that pans out. I don't know what the deal is with Jalen Merrick down in, you know, Florida. I haven't, you know, spoken to him. I know he's a guy that, uh, you know, Alabama certainly had an eye on. The other kid that's supposed to uh, consider reclassifying from the 16 class. And and you know what? If uh, Drew can help me say his name, Shishidi, uh, whatever his name is, you know who I'm talking about, Drew. Yeah, I'll catch you, Valentine. Uh, yeah, I know his I'm last trying. name is Valentine, but I don't know what the yeah. middle part of it is. But Yeah, I have a little yeah, bit of trouble I, I don't as well. know if he's going to reclassify or not. I don't know if anything – I think that's still know, trying to be decided, Rodney. I think they want it to happen. But as far as the last I had heard, he was still considered a 2016 at this point. Yeah, right. That was the last I heard. So, you know, we'll see. But I do think that they're – they're intent on at least getting one more offensive tackle. Oh, there's no doubt. And, I, and depending on how the things keep, continue to go, 
with uh, Womack, it could be two. I mean, uh, we'll see if he wants to ultimately flip from LSU. But And I think the uh, coaching carousel may have some some impact on that as well because you never know. I mean, Les Miles' name could end up coming up at Michigan. So, who knows? Yeah, you never no, know. Again, that's a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're right. You never know. Uh, I mean, the way things are going in Baton Rouge right now, he could. This might be the year less jumps. Who knows? I, I would miss him. I kind of like the big lug, but uh, <laughs> you know, it seems never more. Rodney. I, I, I realize I'm still quote unquote firmly committed to Auburn, but I have yet to see Daryl Williams of Hoover turn down an invitation to come to Tuscaloosa. And I'm sure he'll be at the Iron Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. yet, I mean, I, you know, it's like he comes down there. I think sometimes on his own just to hang out with Marlon Humphrey, but. Uh, and I guess I know Adonis Thomas probably factors in here a lot, but is there a scenario where Alabama could take both young men in this class? Uh, well, uh, you know, I really don't know. I, uh, you know, they've got some guys already committed. They've got, uh, you know, you're looking at Adonis Thomas is there, you know, possibly for the taking. Uh, Lorenzo Phillips is, is is possibly there too for the taking. So, and I just don't know. You, you know, we're starting to talk about a numbers deal if you get those guys, but certainly I think Daryl Williams is somebody that they continue to be, you know, interested in at least. And, uh, you know, so you, again, you know, I've learned one thing. Just when you think you have it figured out, you really don't And in recruiting. And, you know, we just – right now I think it's just kind of a – it's going to have to be, you know, let's let's wait and see how it all unfolds type thing. I agree, Rodney. And well, we appreciate you coming on tonight, man. We, we're right up on this nine o'clock hour. It's been a quick forty minutes, and we know you're very busy. And we appreciate you coming on, especially you've actually spent an hour on the radio. But uh, we appreciate you coming on as always, Rodney. And we look forward to talking with you down the road. Hey, Drew and uh, Carrie, as always, I appreciate you guys. Take care. All right, Rodney. Thank you, buddy. That was Rodney Orr. Of TylerInsider.com. He founded that site back in uh, 1996, and it has continued to prosper. And uh, we always wish him well. We're always glad to have him on the show. He has great insight, both on the team and on the recruiting. And uh, Rodney Orr is a part of our regular rotation here, and, and he's going to stay part of our regular rotation. And I know he did a radio show before he came on here uh, in Tuscaloosa, but I'm pretty sure that Drew and Kerry asked better questions. Just kidding. Uh, but I tell you what, we're coming up on the top of the hour. It's almost 59 minutes after, or one till, depending on how we look at it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and take a few minute break here, and we'll come back after the top of the hour, and uh, we're going to hear from a top committed prospect and his coach in hour number two on BAMS Radio, and you're listening to it on BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Let's go to Blake. Take Bama Sports Radio with you on the go and in your car with the free iPhone app. With cutting-edge features including live broadcasts, on-demand radio, play-pause buttons, and text connect, allowing you to text into shows giving True Tide fans an interactive sports radio experience like never before. Go to BamaSportsRadio.com or search Bama Sports Radio in the iPhone app store to get true 24-hour radio on Alabama sports anywhere in the world, only from Bama Sports Radio. 
Keep up with Bama Sports Radio off the air and on the move for the latest news and programming on all things Alabama. Follow us on Twitter at Bama Sports Radio and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Bama Sports Radio. Bama Sports Radio, giving you all tide, all the time. After the 43-21 second-round playoff victory for the Florence Falcons to get to gain a measure of revenge against the Shades Valley Mounties, who had beaten them 37-35 in Week One on August the 22nd uh, at uh, Shades Valley, uh, but he, they ended the careers of the high school careers of Deron Payne and uh, and Keith Mixon. But uh, J.B. Walsh was in his first year as head coach of the. Lawrence Falcons had been the defensive coordinator in the, during the tenure of Jeremy Dubose or Jamie Dubose, pardon me, uh, cousin of Mike Dubose. Uh, you know, J.B. Wallace had come with him from his staff from Prattville and is now taking over as head coach. And they have a very talented squad. And I was able to, you know, talk with him shortly after their uh, victory uh, over the Shades Valley Mounties. They've done an excellent job this week, this week preparing, you know, and just me being able to watch those guys work, you know, it, it's I feel good to be able to see that we're gelling like that, you know, and the fact that the staff and the players getting after it the way they do. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have have that to go forward for us. Then we, we move over to the offensive side of the ball. At one point you had over nine guys with different touches running the ball and catching the ball. What does it mean to have that depth moving forward in the playoffs? I mean, it's major. You know, it's more than one way to get the ball around and make, the ball, make move the chains, and that's what we try to do, you know, move the chains, get the ball to different people that are going to make plays. So, you know, it's amazing that they worked and came as far as they did from game one to game where we are now. All right, thanks, Coach. Congratulations. All right, thank you. Right. Coach, what do you, what do you think about your team? I mean, obviously you guys had a tough loss, these guys, uh, in week one. 
they had some circumstances with Rashad Leary not being here, but that's out of y'all's control. Y'all just got to take care of your business. Talk about how you guys – you was a business-like approach tonight. Talk about how y'all played. You know, uh, we didn't know coming in if he was going to play or not right. going to play. We prepared for him to be here. Right. I mean, of course, he's a heck of a ball player, you know, but they got a heck of a players all over the team. So, you know, one player, you know, that they're just as good with him. You know, nothing against him, but, I mean, they just a good ball team. But, you know, we just came out and executed. You know, Floyd work hard. And, you know, prime example, you work hard all week, you're going to play well on Friday. And we'll talk about – and I just for – just to, his career is now over, but talk about Keith Mixon and what kind of player he is. Man, man. he's a heck of a ball player. You saw there at the end, I mean, it wasn't much we could do, <laughs> you know, going in with a base game plan with him. I mean, you got to do something special for a kid like that. And, and with that being said, he still has the same go his way. So he's a heck of a ball player. He's forced to be reckoned. He's going to – his best days are ahead of him. And I, I, I talked to you on the phone about how much uh, Keith Nance has meant to your program. Tonight, he didn't have to do as much as he's done early in the year. His teammates picked him up a lot. I know he was directing a lot of traffic out there. Y'all moved him around. But talk about his performance. I mean, he he had a special job this week. You know, he he basically was more of a prevention mode and things like that. And he did what we asked him to do. While he was in there, he made things happen we needed to happen. So, you know, our plan was to try to take the ball out of Mixon's hands, and that was his job to make that happen. And we did that earlier. So, you know, he did play very well. And it, when we haven't got a final yet, but it kind of looks, sounds like Gardendale may be the opponent in the next round. Do you know what do you know about them, and what's your expectation? You know, just looking at a little film on them through the year that we've had. You know, I, I know one they're going to get after it. They're a real gritty team, uh, snap between a snap and a whistle kind of team. So, you know, we we play teams like that through the region. So, I, you know, I think it's going to be a real good matchup. You know, good third round game. Absolutely. Well, congratulations, coach. Good luck to you. All right, thank you. Hey, you going out of all? Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be in touch with okay, you. Yeah, you yep. That was Coach J.D. Wallace uh, from Florence High School. Thought maybe we might ask him about Keaton, but anyway. Uh, we uh, Before we get to the Keaton Anderson audio, though, uh, I need to make an observation. And, uh, Drew, I am still scratching my head over the Shade Valley principal dismissing uh, Coach Bill Smith Monday afternoon after he went 19-5 and over two years and saying that he was a good man and a godly man, but they wanted to go another direction. I just wonder what in the heck this woman has got up her sleeve. Never mind. Okay, well, we'll go on now to the uh, the next clip of audio, Thomas. Uh, this is an interview with Drew DeArmond of Alabama Intel and Bams Radio with uh, Florence senior linebacker Keaton Anderson, who is bound for Tuscaloosa. Just, uh, yeah, go ahead. Just talk about the performance of you guys tonight. Obviously, you guys took one on the chin from these guys ten weeks ago, but you were ready tonight. It looked like uh, both sides of the ball, you guys were ultra-focused. Yes, sir. Uh, it's definitely this, this week of practice, uh, coming in, listening to what the coaches had to say, and uh, learning from our mistakes game one. I mean, we spotted them 17 points at, at the beginning of game one and tried to come back, but uh, it's hard when you're uh, at an away game. Uh, visitor field, but this we had them at home, uh, focused in, uh, did what we had to do, and got the W. Well, and obviously they had some circumstances with Rashard Lewis. Y'all did not know for sure, as Coach Wallace was saying, if they were going to play or not, so you guys prepared for him, but you adjusted as the game went on. Uh, just kind of talk about your defensive performance. And obviously Keith Mixon still got loose, but you guys did a pretty good job on him. Yes, sir. I mean, we knew that uh, Rashad could, could be playing, but we weren't certain, so we did prepare for him. Uh, but most of all, uh, Keith Mixon is what makes the offense roll. Uh, so we knew if we could bottle him up, keep him contained for the most part, he's going to get what he gets just because he's an athlete like that. But if we can bottle him up for the most part, we know we can have a ball game uh, and have a really good chance of winning. 
and just kind of talk about, too, now the next step for y'all. I was talking to Coach Walsh. Don't know the final yet. It looks like Gardendale in the, second, in the third round. Just, and you told us on, your, on our show you got state championships, the goal. Uh, just kind of talk about now the next step. I mean, it's just it's just taking that next step forward and listen to what our coaches got got to give to us. So, or we'll take tonight, celebrate, and then uh, come Sunday, uh, we'll get ready for the game plan, put it in, and plan it, and uh, do what the coaches teach us. And coach was telling me tonight. Obviously, you had a tremendous ball game in the first matchup. About 12, you had double-digit tackles, 14 tackles. You were able to handle mix and Oakville. tonight. A little bit of a different role. He moved you around a lot. You were directing a lot of traffic. He said you were kind of in prevent mode. Kind of talk about what your role was. Well, my role in, in the scheme of things was to bottle mixing up, keep him off the passing game. Uh, so my my objective all week uh, was to stop Keith Mixon. Uh, so when he when he got the ball in passing situations, which I he may have had one or two bubble routes that yeah. he caught. Um, that was my main objective, and uh, we did a good job of it. He did have some great runs, and he's a great running back. I give him props on that. Uh, but our biggest objective is to bottle him up and try to keep it a ball game. And I, and I guess also, are you headed to Tuscaloosa tomorrow? Yes, sir. I'll be, I'll be there. Yes, sir. And uh, kind of just talk about their season. I mean, obviously, it's, it looks like since uh, the uh, the Ole Miss game, they've kind of taken things to the next level, uh, especially defensively. What have you liked of what you've seen thus far? I mean, the tempo's just stepped up. Uh, they know just because of their name is Alabama, they're not going to get easy wins. And they learned that from Ole Miss. Uh, they battled back and they fought through adversity, uh, especially this past week. So, I mean, they got a big home game at Bryant-Denny, which is going to be a, uh, a, a definitely a, a good thing for them. And uh, I think they'll be able to handle things, but they've got to play good ball. Well, one last question. Might you be doing a little recruiting of some guys that just ended their <laughs> careers tonight? I, I hope so. Uh, you know, getting Keith and Deron, that'd be cool to uh, get them as my teammates. And I'll also be playing with them uh, in an also game later on. Uh, so maybe I'll be able to talk to them there and uh, maybe get a little relationship going with them. Absolutely. Well, good luck to you in the next round, my yes, man. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you. That was Keith Anderson, senior linebacker, Florence Falcons, uh, talking to our own Drew DeArmond. Uh, he's a, Drew, it seemed like he was talking about Mixon like he thought he would be in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, that's what I, I took from it. And, Kerry, just a, I was fixing the comment on it, but we went to that second segment. But uh, what I, that's, I, I just heard about Bill Smith today, and all I could do is shake my head. I did not realize that it happened. Everybody knows what kind of shape that program was in before he showed up on the scene. Uh, that program had been more bound, to say the least, since Coach Higginbottom had left for Tuscaloosa County many moons ago in the late in the late nineties, early two thousands. It is hard for me to fathom why he was let go. They've had two really good runs the last two years, getting to the second round of the playoffs. I, I don't understand for the life of me what is going on there. It's crazy and. Uh... This is the second straight administration of a, of a principal at Shades Valley. I'm not going to name any names, but it's the second straight administration of somebody that meddled in sports programs to the detriment of the program. And Bill Smith did a great job there. Uh, if they think they can do better than him, uh, good luck because you're losing Duran, you're losing Keith, you already lost Rashad Louie. Uh, welcome back to you know three and seven next year, Miss Principal. Well. I, but, I, I, and I mean, and, and the thing with Louie was not Bill Smith's fault. No, that was just poor judgment on Richard's part. You hated to see that because I think the game would have been a lot closer. Uh, Florence still had a very good shot of winning the game. I think they've got a very good football team. But again, you just hate it for the Shades Valley program because, uh, as you said, they're probably going to fall back now with it, without a doubt.
And uh, Drew, one of the things you missed uh, by not hanging out longer uh, at the BAMS radio tailgate this past week, besides getting to meet Antonio Langham, the other thing you missed was the uh, runs and stew from Big Head's Barbecue. Yeah, uh, I heard it was it, good. It was pretty dang good. I uh, want to remind everybody that you can call us on the Big Head's Barbecue hotline, which is 714-510-3707. The number again, 714-510-3707. Uh, you can reach Chuck by uh, going to that website, that, uh, which is bigheadbbq.net. Uh, you can call him at uh, 251-379-0094. Again, his number is 251-379-0094. He's on Twitter, at BigHeadsBBQ. You can email him, uh, which is uh, bighead at bigheadsbbq.net. He does all kind of catering for any size uh, event or private party. Could be sports, could be your church, uh, any kind of civic club, family reunion. You name it, he does it. Chuck Peak is the main man with the game plan when it comes to barbecue. Big Heads Barbecue, the official barbecue sponsor of BAMS Radio. And your last chance to try some of his goods is going to be the Iron Bowl. Uh, he will not be bringing food this week for homecoming, but he will be bringing it again. Uh, and he does all kind of barbecue. It don't matter if it's chicken, briskets, ribs. Uh, his famous triple threat, which is a piece of pork with a tiny piece of sausage in the middle wrapped up in bacon and covered with his special Big Head barbecue sauce. He is our sponsor for barbecue, and we do love him. And uh, speaking of the Big Head barbecue hotline, we have a regular call on hold. Uh, your friend and mine, Big C, Colin McGuire from Greenville, Alabama. What is going on, my friend? Big C, well, you are, y'all are, you and Drew. What's going on, man? It's going Keeping on, up with what's going doing, on. I'm doing good, Drew. What's happening, big man? Yeah, doing all We're right, hanging brother. in there. Just following uh, the college football polls. Uh, my uh, top six is almost like theirs, except in a little different order, but the same teams, basically. Were you, were you surprised that Alabama moved to number one, BC? Well, yeah, I really was. What about y'all? Where were y'all? I was a somewhat. Huh? I was somewhat, yes. I thought they would be well, number know, two. Yeah, well, on uh, gradingcollegefootball.com, they are number two. Uh, number one is Florida State. Number two is Alabama. Now, this is a little outrageous, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it. One reason why they're number three is because the number four team did not play last week, and if you don't play on my system, you don't get points. Uh, number three, you know they had a close game was TCU. Number four is Oregon. Number five is Florida, uh, Mississippi State, and number six is uh, 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 Ohio State. Uh, having my system, and I think that's basically how the top six was. Uh, with the, except it's in different. It ain't the same order, but it's the same teams make the top six with the college football poll, playoff poll. What I got also is that am I correct on that? Oh yeah, you about to figure it out, Big C. Yeah, it's, it's getting there. The numbers, the numbers falling right. I, I still don't understand. Uh, how do they figure out strength of schedule on theirs? I don't understand how they do that exactly. And like last night, they're talking about having head to head win, and then like. They was talking about, like, uh, I guess Alabama or Mississippi State. Both of them played LSU and Mississippi State. and I mean, uh, LSU and Texas A&M. They dropped out, and then Jeff Long called that a quality win. 
which I guess because they were ranked at one point, now they're not, so that registers as a quality win, or at least I think it does in their eyes. Is that what y'all, how y'all understand that, or do y'all really understand how they do in this thing? Well, the committee's theory was that Alabama beat the number one team in the country, and Alabama was already number five and was pushing four already before that game. And Alabama had what they call game control. In other words, the game was never really in doubt uh, the whole game. It got tight a little bit, but there never was really a thought in most people's mind that Alabama was fixing to lose this football game. The drive, the 76-yard play drive that uh, – Blake Sims led to kind of clinch the game was huge, and the committee saw that. And uh, you know, Feinbaum and, and a couple other people have had opined uh, that Alabama was going to jump all the way to one. And and I thought there was a chance. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't as shocked as some others. I thought I thought there'd be one or two, but I really thought in the back of my head that there was a good chance it was going to be one because of how they handled business. And nobody mm-hmm. really has a bunch of quality wins. Uh, I, I think Florida State has beaten three top 25 teams, but some of them are just barely in the top 25. And Florida right. State played a, a, a really a piss-poor game against Miami until the end when they had to turn it on, but uh, very well could have lost that game and very well could have lost the Louisville game. And I know the Florida State fans are all up in arms and uh, got their little pains in the wad because they actually dropped them to three because they're winning in such undominant fashion. You know, with a roster full of five stars and, and high four stars, and tough. You know, I, the thing for me is, Alabama wins out. There's no, there's not any way Alabama's going to drop, as long as they don't lose a ball game. Uh, if they oh, win yeah. the Iron Bowl by one point, and if they win the SEC championship game by one point, the SEC champion, if they only have one loss and they win the game in Atlanta, is going to be the number one seed. And the yeah. key there is. Playing the first round in New Orleans and not Pasadena for the fans, for the team, for everybody. Don't want to go all the way out to Pasadena to play the first round, and then turn around and play eleven days later in Dallas. No, you want to go to New Orleans so your fans can actually go and all that, and then worry about the other game eleven days later. So the key for Alabama now is to win out, keep the number one seed, and not have to worry about being sent to to Pasadena. Now that's my theory, Drew. What about you? Yeah, I think that's very important. I told somebody that today that, you know, somebody was talking about, well, you know, I thought there would be two or three and you know, and, I, and all this. And, and if they are two or three, that, that if that's where they end up, that's fine. And I just made the point. I said Alabama really wants to be one or four. If they're one or four, they're going to New Orleans and they'll be much closer geographically to their fan base. And as you said, it's an easy trip. You'd much rather do that than have to go all the way out to Pasadena. You'd rather make Oregon go ahead and play somewhere that they would, that they are, are comfortable playing. And then hopefully somehow Florida State have to play Oregon in, in a shootout-type game. And then Alabama get the Ohio State uh, Buckeyes or Mississippi State or somebody else of that ilk. I, you know, I, as I said today uh, earlier uh, on this show, uh, you know, or excuse me, on a radio show earlier this afternoon, pardon me, you know, I, the, the host of the show said, well, you, do, you, do you really want to play someone twice? It's hard to beat a team twice. And I said, it is tough to beat a good football team two times, but remember, Alabama did it in 1999. Certainly did against Florida. And the second yes, time absolutely. around was really bad. Yes. Put a number on them, 34-7. 
Yeah, they really did. And I, I got to say, though, guys, uh, Mississippi State's hold on that four is very tenuous. It, uh, it is, and, and that's what I've said before. I, I still think, Kerry, I, you know, Paul Feinbaum made a point today of saying he felt like there might be a wall up with Mississippi State, but I disagree with that because even if they went out and win the Egg Bowl, you know, teams like Ohio State and then in the Big 12, uh, Baylor will be playing on December the 7th. They will all have played a game while Mississippi State's sitting at home. And if Ohio State, as much as I can't stand Urban Meyer or that crap league, if they win the Big the Big Ten Championship, which is not a lot because Wisconsin's got a good football team, but if Ohio State were a one-loss Big Ten champion, I think there's a very good chance they could be number four. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You could also say the same about the Big 12 champions. They only have one loss. The committee has hinted strongly they're going to look hard at conference championship winners. So, yeah, Mississippi State, Mississippi State can't is it is not in the clubhouse as Brandel used to say about Alabama when he was so wrong about it. But they're not in the clubhouse waiting uh, if well, they no. went out. Well, they're they, not. They, and I think they'll win the next two games, but I still think they're going to be sitting there uh, on pins and needles chewing their fingernails because, I, I mean, they are they are number four by the slimmest of margins in the committee's mind. Uh, I think state's going to have to have some help to stay for. Well, what state needs? The state needs TCU to lose to Texas, and then they need Baylor to drop, uh, you know, one of their games late. Because if Baylor run, I still think no matter if TCU and Baylor both went out, they're going to eventually give the nod to Baylor because of the head-to-head. And they better, or they might as well just blow the whole system up. Because if they both have one loss, then the head-to-head should be the deciding factor. And then... With the Big Ten, they have a championship game. And so if Ohio State, you know, right, they should beat Indiana, they should beat Michigan, uh, and then if they if they beat a good Wisconsin team with a tailback now and, and Gordon the third, who's probably going to be a Heisman finalist, or it will be, and some people think could end up even winning the award, if you beat that team, then good grief. You, uh, they could, they'll, they'll get so much pub and so much, uh, you know, credit for that that Ohio State could easily move up. Do I think Alabama would smack Ohio State? You darn right I do. But the bottom line is that Ohio State and uh, Baylor are two te- are the two teams that I think Mississippi State needs to be the most leery of and hope those squads lose games down the stretch to ensure them being able to uh, be a one-loss uh, member of the playoff if, you know, if they can uh, themselves beat Ole Miss. That ain't going to be an easy order to do since they got to play them in Oxford. Uh, exactly. Not, uh, so that's not going to be uh, – uh, it's going to be a tall order thing to do there. Uh, now, let me ask you all this. Have you all noticed um, – I've been sort of keeping up with an interesting statistic from Alabama. It's turnover margin. Coach Stallings has a way of picking games, and it's, his method is who runs the ball the best, who stops to run the best. And who uh, take away giveaway and going into the well, at the beginning of the year at one point Alabama was 105 in turnover margin. Last week going into the Mississippi State game was 80, and after getting three turnovers and not giving any away, being plus three last Saturday, now all of a sudden they jumped all the way to number 55. And also, got to say the secondary in the past in the defense uh, has gotten a lot better. What else do y'all see uh, uh, with Alabama's team this year where they've improved from the beginning of the year? 
Oh, I, I just think that the secondary has gotten better and better each week, uh, Big C. I think, you know, as Rodney Orr said, Eddie Jackson has gotten more and more healthy and uh, and, and uh, has gotten uh, more comfortable. Cyrus Jones has continued to improve. He took a lot of criticism early, but I think he's played a really good football and was his best game last week. And then Nick Perry, uh, that was Nick Perry's best game in Crimson last week. Uh, very well-deserved SEC co-defensive player of the week. And I think a big help to the secondary, though, has been the defensive line coming of age and becoming the dominant unit everybody foresaw. And then the pass rush has been much, much better this year, and that's always going to help your secondary. Big C, mm-hmm. we don't have time to take any more questions because uh, we have another call on hold. But if you don't mind, go ahead and, and tell our listeners how they can see your Internet TV show. Absolutely. Right, you go to, go to www.jockjive.com and go ahead and go to week 12. I got the, You need to see the prediction of the Alabama-Mississippi State. I came very close and picked it on the exact score. But go to jockjive.com. Week 12 of Talking Bama with Big C. And, true, I'll be talking to you at 740 uh, Friday morning. Uh, you're taking Kerry's place on Friday. But we'll, I know you'll be a great sub for him on Friday. And we'll be talking to uh, – we'll go from there. But I'll be calling you all back next Wednesday getting pumped up for the Alabama-Auburn game. Uh, I appreciate it, Big C. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you sir. Got another caller on hold now. Uh, in the chat room, you know him as RTR1, but in real life, you know him as Paul from Mobile. Welcome to Bams Radio. Hey, guys. How, Paul, how, how do are I you? sound? Great. Good. Sound great. I just want to start out giving a shout-out to a couple of guys that don't seem to get a lot of credit on the team. Uh, DeAndre White first. I think he's been a real solid player this year, and uh, I know the I know the other day he was out second third quarter with an injury. And I was listening on on the radio to it, and uh, he uh, insisted on going back in the game, so he came back in on the drive where they went they scored the last touchdown to go up twenty five thirteen. I think he made a catch and threw a block, and uh, I think he's done a real good job this year. Also, Eddie Jackson, I think uh, Rodney mentioned him earlier, but uh, don't notice him as much because it seems like the the quarterbacks don't throw at him too much because I guess he's got the guys covered pretty well. They don't want to challenge him. He impresses me a lot. Uh, It looked like the other day he made a uh, play where he uh, he threw a back shoulder fade and he actually reached back and tipped the ball away. and I thought that was a great play. Uh, well, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, well, yeah, Paul. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. We, I mentioned DeAndre White at the start of the show. I, I thought he showed ah. a lot of toughness. And uh, you know, when he came back in uh, to uh, with the pulled hamstring to uh, finish the football game, he's been a little bit injury prone in his career. But as a senior, he knows this is his last go round. And on one of those third down scrambles, you're right. He made the key block to to, to uh, spring Blake Sims to get the first down. He obviously made the uh, two the, the two biggest catches of the LSU game besides Christian Jones as well. Uh, he made the last two catches of that game, uh, or two of the last three, I should say, because of Brandon Green. But he made the big catch to get him in field goal range and then the big catch for the touchdown. Uh, he's just done a lot of intangible things. 
when he's been healthy, as you're, you're right, he's been very, very productive. Eddie Jackson, I don't think there's any doubt before his knee injury he would have been the best corner on the team. It set him back somewhat. He's starting to come into his own. You're right, he's starting to make plays on the ball. Had an extremely big interception in the LSU game to set up uh, a field goal that was a big outcome, had a big outcome in the game as far as Alabama can being able to win that football game. And I just think the defense as a whole has gotten better and better. And uh, to me, they're easily the best in the SEC above Mississippi State. And uh, I think, you know, that's one of the big keys uh, to this second half of the season, Alabama still being in contention for the SEC and the national uh, and, the, and the college football playoff, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was real proud of the defense yesterday, or uh, Saturday, sorry. Another question yeah, I have for you guys, uh, King of Twitter wanted to know about this one. <laughs> Do you think uh, Kenyon, Kenyon Drake will uh, be back next year, or do you think he'll go to the NFL? I mean, there's, he's going to come back, uh, Paul. There's no way. He's not going to be a high draft pick coming off the kind of injury he had, and he's also had off-the-field concerns before that. He needs to put a full body of work together. Uh, who knows, you know, how, how quickly the recovery is going to go from the leg injury. It would just not be a very good business decision for him uh, to go to the NFL, in my opinion, and I'll let Kerry have his take. Uh, I think he's coming back. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I think he was going to go if he had stayed healthy the whole year and Kerry got a chance. The pace he was on, you know, which was a, a strong pace for scoring and rushing and receiving and uh he's going to end up being a very good nfl player if he can get his speed back i, I don't know how that's all going to work he's already uh walking without assistance already so that's a good sign uh the spring will be big for him uh it'd be interesting to see how much they use him as far as full pad work and contacting on the spring i'm thinking very little because they know what he can do but uh it really gives alabama another weapon heading into next year uh, it's actually kind of exciting to think about having Drake in the backfield with Henry next year. Uh, it really is, uh, uh, because you're going to have to be breaking in yet another new quarterback. And so Correct. all of the uh, all of the flash and dash you can get from the other skill positions is going to be huge, and Kenyon certainly brings that. Agreed. Yep. Well, I also had a question. Uh, what do you guys think about O.J. Howard? Do you think uh, maybe, you know, next year they're going to lose three wide receivers most likely. Do you think they would ever consider moving him to wide receiver since uh, well, he seems to have issues well, blocking? Yeah. Well, regardless of if they did that, Paul, and I still think he'll be more of an H-back, but he's going to have to learn to block wherever he goes. And the big – there's no questioning his talent as far as size, speed, uh, you know, uh, and his ability when he can – when he catches the football to make plays. But he has not taken advantage of his opportunities at times this year. And to be quite frank, he needs to toughen up. I mean, he's someone that needs to – he's played a little soft this year. I mean, if you notice on the, the, the play, the T.J. Elvin's fumble against LSU, a big reason that was a fumble is he got blown up at the point of attack and his uh, you know, mouthpiece went uh, five yards in the other direction. He's got to be able to block a little bit better and do his job. And uh, I think if he does that, even as an H-back, he can be a tremendous talent. And uh, I just think, I think uh, to be honest, he just needs to kind of mature. I think some people got ahead of themselves with him. I think sometimes guys, you know, it takes them a little bit longer to come into their own. I do think he can be an integral part of the offense next year uh, if he continues to work and get stronger. 
But I think what he needs to really do, and I'm hoping it'll be via new blood as a new with a new position coach, is he needs somebody to uh, kind of a new voice to come in and light a spark under him a little bit. Oh, a new a new tight end slash special teams coach, me. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Final question. I got into a discussion with uh, somebody on this. Auburn, uh, looking ahead here to Auburn, uh, their defense has been really lousy here probably for ever since Malzahn's been involved. Is it? Does it have something to do with they don't have a, uh, a, I guess, a conventional offense to practice against, or uh, or is they spend so much time out on the field? Or I'm trying to figure out what the correlation is. Well, I just, I just think it's done it. Well, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I just think it's philosophy. I think yeah. Malzahn worries so much about going fast and being explosive offensively. They Their emphasis is on offense completely in their program. I don't think they, they emphasize defense enough, and I think that's why they lack toughness on that side of the ball and why they're soft. They, they made the national championship game last year, you know, and their defense wasn't very good. It's even worse this year because of Carl Lawson's injury because they have no pass rushers. But I just think the bottom line is is that Gus Malzahn, much like Kevin Sumlin, does not emphasize defense enough. And when that happens, when you're so offensive-centric, uh, it can uh, affect your program overall. And they, they're not very good on the, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll let Kerry kind of also give his opinion. I'm hearing these noises. It sounds like a Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Well, first of all, just like any newfangled uh, invention, how oh, the T-Rex is pissed off. Uh, just like any um, invention regarding a new offensive defense, what have you. If you, <laughs> uh, anyway, people figured out after a while, and uh, I think what you saw uh, this past weekend in Athens, uh, after a nice drive to start the game, a little four-minute drive to score a touchdown, you saw 56 minutes of how to stop the hurry-up-no-huddle offense, courtesy of Jeremy Pruitt, who, quite frankly, he learned from two of the best. Uh, he learned from Nick Saban, and he learned from Rush Probst. You know, love him or hate him, Rush Probst can coach football. And, yeah. you know, and Rush used to run a lot of that sometimes. And so Jeremy saw it in practice every day. So Jeremy's he knows how to stop it. I mean, he had some struggles with it last year in the championship game, uh, but he finally figured it out then. And, you know, like I said, for 56 minutes in Athens, Jeremy Pruitt showed America how to stop the hurry-up no huddle offense. So, uh, and, and I like to think that Alabama's defensive personnel is, is pretty much on par with Georgia's. So, you know, two or three months ago, I was a little bit concerned. And I guess I still should be a little bit because Nick Marshall's so slippery. Yeah. But, uh you know, they're trying to act like Duke Williams is going to play in the Iron Bowl and blah, 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 blah. I don't care if he plays or not. Uh, you know, this Auburn team showed me, especially in the second half against Georgia, uh, that they can be had, uh, and it's a home game, and there's going to be a lot more at stake for one team than there is the other. So, you know, I was sort of worried about the Auburn game a couple months ago, but right now I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Paul, I, I feel pretty daggum good about it. Yeah, I think we need to come out and just play with the same kind of energy we did against Mississippi State, and I think we'll be all right. So, looking you're, forward you're to it. That's all the questions right. I got, The crowd will be into it. 
Yeah, they should be. <laughs> After last year, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, well, thanks, guys. We well, appreciate it, Paul. Thank you for calling in, man. We enjoyed it. Thanks, Paul. Bye-bye. Have a good one, buddy. That's Paul from Mobile, a.k.a. RTR1, in the BannersRadio.com chat room. And, uh, you know, you too can join us on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline just by simply dialing 714-510-3707. Again, 714-510-3707. Now we're going to have another special segment. Uh, A few months back, uh, a movie came out that was quite intriguing. It was called Lone Survivor. It was about an incident that happened in the woods of Afghanistan uh, to some uh, American Special Forces soldiers, one of which, Marcus Luttrell, happened to be in Tuscaloosa this past weekend. And uh, he spoke to the University of Alabama football team for over 20 minutes. And uh, our producer, Thomas Watts, has been able to to, uh, cut cut a little bit of that down so we can hear part of it. Thomas, uh, tell us a little about this clip and uh, about the young man that delivered it. Sure. Uh, just just a word of warning. There there is some some graphic language. Not bad, but just if you're younger. PG you, thirteen. Yeah, PG thirteen. Exactly the way to put it. Uh, Marcus Luttrell. Uh, he was. If you've seen Lone Survivor, he was played by Mark Wahlberg, and he just talked about like part of what being a SEAL is to him, and is able and he's able to equate that to football and tells his story and, and to me I, I I can imagine when he spoke to the team it came through very clearly you know this is how you have to handle adversity like that was that was kind of the underpinning of his entire message I've only got about two minutes and twenty four seconds of the audio because it is a lot of stuff but it, it it's it's really good. I hope you all enjoy it, and I'm just going to let it go and get it going. We'll be right. This is not going to be a fi- an official break, but uh, just sit back and enjoy. My brother's a Navy SEAL too. I got a twin brother. He's a Navy SEAL, and I was thinking about him a lot. And my teammates and, and everything that I, uh, all the training that I'd been through, and I I laid there. I was like, "You're being a bitch. Get up. Let's go." That's exactly what I said. What was I going to do? Lay down there and die? I wasn't going to do that. I definitely wasn't gonna feel sorry for myself. And I kept thinking, I was like, all right, I'm still alive, man. I'm alive. I mean, they, they fought and died. I'm still alive. So the mission's still on. Let's go. So I reached out and I grabbed a rock. And I reached out as far as I could and I drew a line in the dirt in front of me. I was like, I'm gonna crawl to that till my feet hit it. If I'm still alive, I'm gonna do it again. And that's what I did. I'd draw a line, crawl to it, my feet would hit it. I'd fall down a hill, I'd crawl up another hill, I'd draw another line. And I did that for seven miles. When it was an option, when I was out there and I was shot, I laying down there, and somebody was like, well, why didn't you quit? Because that's not an option, all right? That's not what I am. You understand what I mean? So if I, I'm a Navy SEAL, I'm a gunfighter, I'm a, I'm a warfighter, and if I get shot and I can pick myself up, I'm going to pick myself up to shoot me again and kill me. Basically, I'm not going to stop, ever, period, until you take everything away from me. You strip it all away. That's the way we're trained. From the day you go into training, they take away everything that you are and that you ever were and they mold you back up to what they want you to be. You accept the fact that you're a, you're a football player. So why in the hell would something prevent you from doing that and doing what you're supposed to be doing on the field? That wasn't my job. The Navy still wasn't my job. That's what I am. If you're a damn football player and a good one, that's what you are. That's not what you do. 
And if you're a part of something to where you, your whole livelihood and everything you depends on another man, that's where that bond comes from. Everybody knows that a bond is forged in adversity, right? But rely on each, on each other, man. Love each other as a team. Ain't nobody out here that you ain't willing to sacrifice everything for. Every day, man, what do you got? You got to be. You're going to walk through me, man. You better bring some help. That's what you got to think. Because I got my boys right here. We're about to find out who's, who's what. That's where you got to be, man. Like, it's going to take everything you got to get to the end of this field. You better pray to God you put the work in. Because I have. Marcus Luttrell, uh, Navy SEAL, depicted in the uh, movie Lone Survivor. And Thomas, what he's talking about is crawling seven yards after falling and, and, and breaking a bone, correct? Uh, yes. He, uh, it, the, the, the part I cut out was basically how he and his squad got shot to pieces. Like one of, the, one of the scenes he described, he was carrying one of his fellow soldiers, and the guy got his head blown off, which knocked him down. I don't really want to call it a ravine, but down a rock face and destroyed his face. Like he fell on his face and broke his nose. Um, he, he had the fall did a bunch of like damage to his legs. That's why I had to crawl. And that was, that, that was the whole thing. The guy was able to drag, find the willpower, you know, bleeding prodigiously from multiple injuries to drag himself seven miles to safety. Yep. And that's a that's a story in courage. Uh, I haven't had a chance to hear the whole twenty something minutes. I'm going to do it after the show. Uh, that was great. Uh, thank you for for pulling that out. And that kind of lets you know uh, the mindset of Alabama uh, as they took the field against Mississippi State after having heard that. And um, it's it's about as inspiring as it gets. And that was only two minutes of a twenty something minute clip. But uh, another brilliant you know piece of uh, motivation by Nick Saban bringing Marcus Luttrell in to speak to, to our team. And uh, speaking of motivation, uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring on uh, the most venerable caller in BAMS radio history. I want to get his reaction to that clip. Uh, what's going on, Marty from Gadsden? Hey, I tell you what, it fired me up so much I had to call in. I mean, it really motivated me big time. You know, I, that, that, that was great. I mean, Saban is a genius. I mean, he's a mastermind of disguise, I thought. I mean, people need to realize what kind of coach we got, you know. It, it, it's just special. It's just a special time to be an Alabama fan and, and you know, have have such a special coaching staff that, that we got on this, on this team. It's, it's unreal. Yeah, I mean, for me, Marty, I, and I know you did too, uh, going through the Bryant years uh, – we had the situation that we have now where you walked into the stadium every every week expecting to win the ball game. But back then, I guess I was so young, I, I, I kind of took it for granted. Uh, but now, you know, being in my 50s, I don't take anything for granted. And uh, I'm really enjoying it like you. It's a, it's a special era uh, that's going on right now. And uh, we're very fortunate to be a part of it. Uh, we certainly paid some dues in the early part of the last decade. Uh, and even, you know, in the 90s for a while, paid some dues. But, boy, it's, uh, it's fun to cash these chips in and be Alabama football again. Oh, it's great, to, you know, to be in the desert and be just thinking about you're so thirsty, you're thinking about that water that you want to drink. And all of a sudden that you get into the green area where there's water running and you get to drink all you want. Man, I tell you, it's a special time. That's all I can that's how I describe as being an Alabama fan right now. Because, you know, like you said, going through the, the dry time, 
It makes the good times seem so much more better. But, hey, guys, I, I got a, a couple questions. Uh, I don't know if you're going to do a participating chart or not, not if you have time or not, but I, I got a couple oh, we're questions. we're going to do it we didn't do it last week. We're going to do it this week. I got a couple I got questions. Real, with your questions. Uh, Ruben Foster, is this kid – what's the future for Ruben Foster at Alabama? I mean, is he going to is he going to catch on? Is he going to stay healthy? Is he going to be able to – have the right technique to play where he needs to play. I mean, what's your thoughts? Well, you know, Marty, I just think right now he's still got a ways to go mentally. I think everybody could see that against West Virginia. Plus, you know, he still has the issues with the concussions. Needs to keep himself, you know, healthy. But uh, obviously he had a huge hit against uh, in the LSU game near the end and He's uh, he and you know, but of course people we've got to remember he, the game before that he did re-injure himself again. So you you got and he did it he did so against A and M. So you've got to I still think he has a lot of talent and I still think he can come along and be a really good player at Alabama. But I think this next six months for him is going to be huge. Well, you know he is a talent, you know, but I'm just beginning to wonder if he's. <laughs> If he's ever going to get his head on his shoulders and be able to do it right, it's amazing that he got through high school, you know, uh, being so successful, and then he, and he gets into college and he just can't he just can't get it going. Uh, it's amazing to me. But second question, uh, listen, I, I don't I hate to overlook Auburn. I don't want to overlook Auburn. I hope Alabama's focused and they want some revenge from that one second last year, hearing it all year long. I hope we go and take care of business. And let's say we do take care of business. Who do, who do we want to face, truthfully? Do we want to face Missouri or do we want to face Georgia? We want to face Missouri, straight up. Missouri, Marty. That's, that's what I was thinking. Missouri. That's, that's what the I was thinking. The thing with Georgia is Georgia's offense is tough for anyone to stop just because Nick Chubb is a force at running back. I don't want to celebrate an injury to a player, but without Gurley, you know, that does take something away from the Georgia offense. But Chubb has – what was the stat that got parroted hundreds of times on Saturday? Well, without Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb had over 140 yards through four games. You have to be really good to be able to do that week in and week out in the SEC. So I would want to face Mizzou because I, I can't get past the fact that Missouri lost to like a three and seven Indiana team earlier this year, and got blasted by Georgia at home. Well, I tell you what, they got, they got a rough road to get there because I tell you this Tennessee game is going to be a rough game for them. I think Tennessee is is improved. I think they finally found the quarterback, and uh, I, I think they're going to have their hands full this weekend. Well, they will, Marty. But Tennessee's got to play on their best defensive player. Yeah, that was big. That was something that nobody expected before the week started. And uh, he, I'm thinking he, he and the Williams kid are probably done at Tennessee. We'll see what kind of effect it has on them. But I don't think it should be discounted that I believe Missouri is 9-0 in their last nine road games. They are. And the SEC, they're winning on the road at a clip that's crazy. And I realize that Tennessee was shocked off. The quarterback is much better than they were when the season started. But A.J. Johnson is arguably the best middle linebacker in our conference. I mean, he's, he's Reggie Ragland the whole time he's been at Tennessee. He's been that good. And now 
And AJ, is, by the way, a high school teammate of Blake Sims. But now AJ is gone, and that opens up some situations defensively for Missouri against Tennessee that were not there before. And so I realize it's going to be a tough game for Missouri, and they may lose it. Or they could win it and turn around and lose to Arkansas at home next week. But I think they'll beat Arkansas at home. So, to me, if Missouri does get by Tennessee, and it did become easier without A.J. Johnson, who's now suspended, and like Drew said, he'll probably never play again there. We have a senior anyway, I think. But anyway, yeah. uh, it, it became a little easier. If they can pull it out, I feel like they'll turn around and beat Arkansas at home. So, But to answer your original question, I'd rather play Missouri because, quite frankly, Georgia has better players than Missouri does. No doubt. I agree. What, what about that participation chart? You got it ready? I got it, buddy. Uh, because of the closest of the game and because Alabama was playing the number one team in the country, Mississippi State, this past week, Alabama only actually put 51 young men on the field. Uh, the starting lineups on offense, uh, at tackle you had Cam Robinson, at left guard Ari Quanjo, center Ryan Kelly, right guard Deion Brown, right tackle Austin Shepard. That's been the line most of the year. Uh, your tight end was Brian Vogler, who's playing through an injury. Blake Sims at quarterback, Amari uh, Cooper at the X, Christian Jones at, uh, at at one of the H receivers, and also Ardarius Stewart started, and DeAndre White. Uh, that was a unique offense that came out in. Uh, defensively, uh, the ends were Jaron Reed and Jonathan Allen. The nose guard was A. Sean Robinson. Uh, Reed also played some nose during the course of the game, but that's how they started out. Uh, they started Geno Smith uh, at the extra defensive back. The Sam linebacker was Denzel Duvall. That's a head scratcher for me. Uh, the mic was Trady Priest. The wheel was Reggie Raglan. The corners were Eddie Jackson and Cyrus Jones. And the uh, regular two safeties, Landon Collins and Nick Perry. Off the bench, Alabama used uh, some of these guys. A lot of these guys only played on special teams, but these guys did get into the game. Uh, Tony Brown, uh, Tyron Jones, Bradley Sylvie, uh, T.J. Yeldon, of course, uh, Hootie Jones, Ryan Anderson, who should have started, Cam Sims, Adam Griffith, Ruben Foster, who we talked about, Sean Hamilton on kick return blocking, uh, J.K. Scott, our uh, biggest weapon on special teams, Cooper Bateman, uh, Jarek Williams, uh, Maurice Smith, uh, Jabril Washington, who's just gotten better every week, Dylan Lee, uh, who has overcome an injury that he suffered in that game. He's going to be okay. Derek Henry, uh, Rashawn Evans on some kicking teams, uh, Jarlston Fowler, Big 35-yard catch. Xavier Dixon having a wonderful senior year. Dalvin Tomlinson, Rodney Orr talked about, got the big sack. Cole Mazza, Tim Williams. I didn't see Tim get in, but I guess he did. Uh, DJ Petway, uh, this says Parker Barano got in on a late uh, special team. Uh, O.J. Howard, uh, Brandon Green as a blocker. Darren Lake, whose playing time has increased, as has Brandon Ivory. So just those 51 guys this week, Marty. Uh, quite frankly, I think against Western Carolina, you'll have about 20, 25 more than that get in at some point. So if we do participation chart next week, it'll have a lot more names on it, I can guarantee you. Sounds like. Hey, uh, one another question real quick. How How is Bama Bird? He is actually thinking about uh, joining us on the air next week for the Auburn preview. Uh, he was at the tailgate this past Saturday uh, in good spirits. Uh, he is still going through some chemo and all, and, radiation and stuff but uh he's uh he's in pretty good spirits and 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 uh was moving around well uh had his wits about him uh had, had a lot of his uh nieces and nephews and grandkids and all there so he had a big time saturday uh so he's doing a little better and he wanted me to let all y'all know i'm glad you brought it up that he is planning on joining us on the air next week for the iron bowl preview 
Wow, what a special treat. Hey, guys, y'all do a great job, and, and we love listening to you. I mean, Drew, you you and Carrie are, are, are a tag team that I don't think nobody else can beat. Y'all, y'all guys keep it up, and roll tide, and let's go take care of uh, Western Carolina this weekend. Thank you, Marty. Appreciate it. Roll tide. Thank, Thank you, Marty. Uh, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, and, Drew, I think we need to, uh, since there's been two regular season games played since we had a show, I think we need to spend a couple minutes talking about the 2-0 and start of the Alabama basketball team. Uh, I was able to cover the game this past Friday. Uh, Kirk McNair had mercy and let me do that instead of get out in the freezing cold of high school football. And I was able to witness a, a, a pretty good opening game victory. But then Monday night, uh, Western Carolina came to town. And it's funny, uh, uh, Rhett Harrelson, their three-point shooting ace of the guard, uh, not the forward, the guard, uh, I can remember four or five years ago his Dad sending me a tape wanting me to write a recruiting article about him for BamaMag.com. I never did do it because I knew that his ceiling in Alabama was going to be invited walk on. But he came in and, and darn near shot him to victory. Had a had an NBA three that kind of rimmed out on him toward the end. Uh, so I, I, I was quite happy with the opening game victory. Uh, not so happy with the game Monday. Although a lot of people say that the uh, the six point game Monday, where Alabama erased a six point deficit in the last five minutes might have been a loss last year. I'd like to think that's correct, that they did find a way to win, but it was kind of an ugly win. But bottom line, uh, they are 2-0. and Well, you know, they are, and, they, and we got to see Michael Kessens for the first time. Uh, he did some, some pretty good things. A uh, little bit disturbed. You know, the, 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 guy, the thing that was the most encouraging was Jimmy Taylor, uh, 15 points, 10, 11 rebounds, uh, was, a, was a presence around the rim, got some shot, block shots. I thought he finished well, especially at the beginning. He was very physical uh, around the rim. Uh, yeah, I was, and, I, and the first half was encouraging, 41 points. And they've been able to score the ball, and they were they shot free throws very well uh, in the game and scored in the 80s again. But just was a little bit disturbed at the fact that they, they allowed the best player for uh, Western Carolina to, to go off for 31 and that they allowed Western Carolina to hang around so long. I mean, I, I was thinking that, it would be a, maybe a 15-point win for Alabama that they would pull away in the second half, and they just never were able to do so. Uh, Ricky Tarrant had 18 points before leaving with a slight injury that wasn't serious. but uh, And then Levi Randolph had 19, and it was an efficient 19. I mean, he didn't take a ton of shots and was able to get to the free-throw line and uh, looked very smooth in doing so. I think he looks a lot more confident this year. But the thing that was a little bit disturbing, though, is Western Carolina is a scrappy team, but those kind of teams you need to be putting away and winning by double digits. You don't need to be uh, letting them hang around to where you're holding your breath with a minute to go, hoping that a three-pointer is off the mark so you can get the rebound and make some free throws. Exactly right. And the game I was talking about Friday, uh, Towson, Towson, they they hung around for a while, but Alabama did put them away. Right, uh, like you'd expect. Now, Towson had a couple of guys that could shoot the three too, but Alabama extended the defense and, and picked it up on, on the press and the up tempo and, and got got a, a solid win Friday. Not a solid win Monday, but a win. Uh, and Drew, uh, one of the rhetorical questions that I asked myself on Twitter and on BamaMag.com has just been answered on Twitter. Uh, a friend of mine has a, a daughter who cheers for Oak Mountain High School, right. and the, the friend sent me a picture of Coach Grant. Uh, with his daughter at the Oak Mountain Pelham basketball game, uh, which was played uh, two nights ago. Well, uh, 
I'm sorry, it was played last night, excuse me. Last night. So I'm thinking, did Coach Grant think Oak Mountain was playing Spain Park and just kind of show up? No. Uh, Coach Grant has today offered Pelham High School 2017, uh, which is currently a sophomore, 6'8", power forward Alex Reese of Pelham. Mm -hmm. He got got an Alabama offer today. So that explains to me why Coach was at the game the other night. I had no clue what the heck he was doing watching Pelham play Oak Mountain. But now I know. So 2017, Pelham, Alabama, uh, power forward Alex Reese, 6'8", has an Alabama offer. Uh, so that has that question has now been answered. Now, uh, getting back to uh, the basketball team of now, uh, they got to play a home game tomorrow night at eight o'clock on the SEC Network against a very good Southern Miss team that won twenty nine ball games last year. But my understanding, Drew, is uh, that they have a, a first year head coach and that they lost a lot of guys off that twenty nine win team. Yeah, they did, and. Donnie Tindall is now the head basketball coach at the University of Tennessee. Uh, they had the, and uh, Southern Miss had a very good team in Conference USA last year. Lost a lot of guys. Should still be a, a nice test for Alabama, but it's one hopefully that they'll that they should pass at home, uh, especially considering you know they. I think they're they're gonna, they'll play a better defense this time around. You think that's gonna that would have been an emphasis in practice to play a little bit better defense and uh, to close teams out. Uh, and then to, you know, be a little bit more efficient offensively. Uh, you know, I, I felt like that, that, that besides Jimmy, they didn't get a lot inside. But Michael Kessens, that was his first game action. His second game, I'm sure he's going to be much more comfortable uh, and be uh, and, 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 and hopefully score the ball a little bit more when given his opportunities. But I will say this, Kerry, I do like the potential of this Alabama team offensively. I think they've got a lot more weapons. I think it's a lot more varied. And I and I don't know about you, but I like the ball movement more this year. I think uh, a lot more guys are touching the ball. I think they're sometimes overpassing, as a matter of fact. But I do like the potential offensively of this squad. Yeah, the ball movement was great uh, in the Friday win, and Coach Grant kind of got a little miffed if I asked when I asked him if part of that was due to Witherspoon. He just wanted to emphasize that. Uh, it was the fact that it was a new team this year. And I'm thinking, right. Okay. My bad for getting asked you about your 100 wins. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, he does have 101 wins at Alabama now, by the way. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, anyway, I, I still think Witherspoon has had some influence on this offense. And Coach Grant admitted that he's a great assistant coach. Glad I had him, blah, blah, blah. But he never would come out and say, yeah, we're playing better on offense because I brought in Spoon. Which, by the way, I had a chance to meet Coach Witherspoon. And he's, a, he's a wonderfully nice guy. And after the press conference was over and I was going to walk out the building, uh, Coach Grant and Coach Witherspoon were in the hallway talking to Retton Abbasahan and his girlfriend. Uh, and Retton, by the way, God love him. You know, he still only knows two plays on offense, which is Retton to the hole and Retton for three. But at the same time, to his credit, Drew, to his credit, Retton was leaving the building uh, Friday night with an iPad to go home and watch film. So I, I respect that very much of that young man. And he is very athletic. He's great on the ball defender. Drew, somebody we hadn't mentioned yet, a friend of this show, uh, he called in from a gym with games going on on a cell phone that I think Legend would be proud of. But Justin Coleman uh, hit a huge shot for Alabama and, and has done a great job leading the offense thus far. Yeah, he's played like a veteran, and I'm not really surprised. Justin is very unselfish. And I think he's someone that's played at a high level on the AAU circuit and has always kind of played beyond his years. And I think he's settled in. 
it may be that Ricky Tarrant this year ends up being the super sub guy that comes off the bench to score the basketball because I just think what you got with Justin Coleman is a true point guard. And I know there's questions about his size, but he's so quick with the ball carry, and uh, he's so uh, creative with it, and he's so unselfish, but yet he has the ability to make shots, as you talked about. He's, he's a gym rat. He called us from a gym. <laughs> so yeah, he did. I just, yeah, so I, I just think he has a very bright future at Alabama. I like what I've seen out of Riley Norris. I think the other night, Kerry, the only one of the freshmen that, that did not play much, if at all, was Devin Mitchell. Oh, uh, he did uh, get in second half. Uh, he got in second half. Yeah, he, he got in. Uh, he played a little bit more against Towson. He played about the last eight minutes. Right. And then he, uh, against um, uh, Western Carolina, he only got about five. Yeah, he got in. Uh, but but, but the thing bit. about uh, the Western Carolina game, he got in. The game was still in doubt. Uh, the game was not in doubt when he played uh, versus Towson. And then before we close the show out, got got to give a shout out to the captain. Uh, hadn't missed a free throw at all in two games and solid scoring, uh, averaging like a double double. Uh, huge shout out to the crowd of the two five six Levi Randolph. Yeah, he you know finally looks comfortable offensively, Kerry. His free throw, uh, he's shooting free throws now like I thought he would during his entire career. Like I saw him in high school, uh, very good shooter, very good form. I think he will shoot the three much better this year. But I think he realizes that he must get to the free throw line and slash and get to the basket, get out on the open floor, and he's doing that. And then he also is going to defend very hard. He's a very good kid, man. He's going to probably end up going to law school. And he's, as good a, he's just as good a kid as you're going to find and you just want him to have a really good senior year. And as Darren Horn, former South Carolina head coach, Western Kentucky head coach, said during the color with Dave Neal, he has a chance to be an all-SEC player this year. And uh, it was a great night for Alabama basketball from the standpoint they found a way to win, and Auburn lost by 30. Yeah, Auburn got that butt whipped to Colorado. The Colorado's a pretty good team. All right, uh, that being said, it's about time to wrap it up. Uh, we do, of course, have the homecoming game. This Saturday, the parade will be around 10.30 on University Boulevard. The kickoff of the football game against Western Carolina will be 3 p.m., and you can see it on the SEC Network. But we're going to go ahead and close it out. We've had an interesting show. I think the audio clips really added a lot. Um, for Drew Armand of AlabamaInfail.com, for Thomas Watts of TouchdownAlabama.net, I am your co-host, Kerry Clark from BamaMag.com. We thank you for listening to another edition of BAMS Radio. Remember the Bama Sports Radio family. Roll Todd, everybody. <laughs>